This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, you're with Lee Chui Lin and tonight we are wading into the ongoing confusion surrounding how many students didn't actually sit for their SPM. So mostly we're going to try and understand what these numbers tell us about the state of our education system and dropouts and then later on we'll talk about how to engage students to return or not leave at all through TVET. So, um, I've asked you this before, but it seems relevant again. How can we keep our students in school all the way to SPM level? And also, what other pathways might we need to consider for students who do drop out? Call 7733 tweet us at BFM Radio, and send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It is 6.09. So let's start with the most recent. Last week, Education Minister Fadlina Siddiq said that the ministry is currently examining various reports concerning the number of absent students during the SPM 2022 examination. Uh, she acknowledged that this issue is a long-standing problem that has persisted over a considerable period of time and added that the ministry will scrutinise data from the past several years to understand the possible reasons for that high number of absentees. She also said that there are various underlying factors contributing to students' absence during the exams, but said that the ministry is taking steps to ensure that candidates do attend and complete the examination. Now, she came out to say this partly because the SPM situation has become a, a little bit of a, a political touchstone, a political talking point over the last few weeks because the MOE confirmed that nearly 30,000 candidates who were registered uh, did not sit for the SPM last year, including private candidates who were actually registered to take only one or two subjects. Um, in Parliament last week, the Deputy Education Minister Lim Hui Ying had said that the number was 29,000 odd, and that was in response to a supplementary question from Kulim Bandabaru MP, Roslan Hashim, who had asked about this, saying that there was a discrepancy between what the PM had said and what the Education Ministry had said. All of which to say, anyway, it is 30,000. Um, and that kind of back and forth really almost... Um, glides over the actual issue I would argue that we should be talking about, which is what that number tells us. Because while we hear people squabble over it and say that, oh, those numbers are accurate, whose problem is that? The truth is that we should be talking about the students who don't make it to the exam and why. Because if you work your way backwards, then it's worth, um, you know, it tells us a story really about what's going on with students in our country with dropouts. Because we, we keep saying that that we want to get to zero dropouts. We keep saying we want to ensure that everybody gets an education, but that's clearly not what's happening. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Not so much the back and forth about the numbers, even though that has been going on, but really about what the numbers can tell us and how we what we need to do from here. So we are going to be we are going to be exploring that first. Um, what the numbers tell us, why this is happening. Later on, we'll be talking about TVET as one possible avenue to explore. 
Let us know. How do you think we can keep our students in school all the way up to SPM? Um, but also, what other pathways might we need to consider for students who, who drop out? What's viable? You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note to 018-789-8899. You can drop us a WhatsApp there as well and tweet us at PFM Radio. After this, we'll be speaking with Sharon Raj, human rights activist for education. Keep it here on Inside Story, PFM 89.9. Buggy Free Minum, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.13 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. We're talking today about the number of students who didn't actually sit for their SPM, which seems to hover at about uh, 30,000 at least last year. They were registered to sit for it, but they didn't end up there. And so we're looking at what this says about our education system. Uh, we're looking at what this tells us about dropouts. Um, let us know, how do you think we can keep our students in school all the way to SPM at least? But also, what other pathways might we need to consider for students who do drop out? That number to call is 7733-2900. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, joining us now, we have Sharon Raj, human rights activist for education. Sharon, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me today. So um, the Deputy Education Minister, Lim Hui Ying, recently said that a total of 29,663 out of um, over close to 400,000 candidates did not sit for the exam last year. What do you make of these figures? What do they tell us? Just a caveat, I'm quite fully aware that the whole country is quite in a deep shock about the 29,000 people did not uh, turn up for their SPM candidate. However, from my own perspective, I think this is actually a, a normal figure. All right. If you look in the last uh, half a decade since 2018 till date, the average figure of uh, SPM absentee rate hovers around 6.1% to about 7.2%, except for 2020. Because in 2020, the number dropped staggering to about 4.79%, which is quite a steep drop, actually. And this is nothing to do with then Education Minister Razi. It's not because he was competent or anything. It's just because of the COVID pandemic had a positive impact on reducing the numbers of absentee stu uh, students uh, for SPM for that matters. But overall, this is actually a business as usual number. I am personally shocked why everyone is shocked. Because this has been the numbers for the quite nearly about maybe at least for about 10 years plus. And the last five years, this has been more or less the usual number. Mm. Over to you. So, okay. I think everyone's shocked simply because it was discussed in Parliament for so long <laughs> and, and talked about so much. Uh, but if we talk about that business as usual, then um, what is going on with this five or six percent? What, what's happening here? Okay. Now, when we look at this number, all right. This is, uh, everyone's thinking that this is actually the absentee rate, absentee rate, absentee rate. No, but objectively speaking, this is the real numbers of school dropout rates. This is the real number of school dropout rates. Okay, allow me to elaborate more on that statement. When you look at what we define as SPM absentee, it's based on registered students in, in upper secondary, which people who entered form five, okay, who did not attend SPM, okay? And when we define active student or registered SPM students, is anybody that is so-called attending uh, classes, anyone who's not expelled, or anyone who have not 
got a stock certificate to go into other streams or any sort, which is people who have not formally stopped their school stream. Okay. And when you look at uh, the, the MOE KPI, if any student actually drops out, the school is to be blamed. It looked bad on the record, on the school's principal. It looked bad on the teachers and so on. So a lot of schools, what they do is when a student chooses to stop or a student chooses not to attend school, they do not actually formally stop them, but they retain them in the record. And so on paper, they're attending school, but in reality, they have actually do not turn up to school and they're actually considerably, uh, considerably consider uh, school dropout, okay? But when you look at our dropout rates, you know, 2021 versus 2022, form four to form five, only about 2,700 in form four who never reached form five. And a large proportion of these students, which informally in government record, about 2,700 of them, actually stopped to move to private school. The parents wanted to give them a Canadian pre-U and Australian pre-U. Mm. This is more for them to move into foreign universities. Okay, And only a small number of them were involved in disciplinary issue and expulsion. And major, a very, very small minority have actually formally applied to stop. Okay, and when most of the students apply formally wanted to stop, the school will discourage them. Just say don't turn up. So, and you know, being a bit more bluntly speaking, a student who attended twenty months uh, form four and form five, you have ten months of schooling, twenty months of schooling, and decided not to attend the exam for two weeks. It makes no sense at the first place. Right. So that's where we came up with this hypothesis, and we double checked. And uh, previously, uh, some many years ago, some of me and my friends who were involved in activism in education, we managed to trace out a lot of the students who actually never turned up for STM exam. And we managed to work out uh, our hypothesis. They were actually wanted to stop, but the school told them not to stop. It's just you stop coming to school. It's fine. We don't care. You know, you don't because they don't want it to put on record because then they have to explain to PPD. PPD has to explain to JPN. JPN has to explain to KPM. And it goes the entire way. So nobody wants to take that blame. Nobody wants to put it on paper. So they just keep them as an active student and they just don't turn up to SPM. And when question comes, why they don't have to SPM? These are the answers you actually, actually get in a formal government meeting. Over to you. So, okay. I think then the key thing is I want to hone in on the the students that you're saying actually say well look I don't I don't want to do this anymore I'm not interested in going to school or, or whatever um, based on your observations what have been some reasons for students uh, well I'm gonna say you know the question both ways not sitting for the SPM but also in <laughs> essence dropping out yeah actually when we look at it there's a push and pull factor for them uh, to stay out of school. Okay, when you look at the push factor is our school environment has become quite regressive. I think in my last interview with BM, uh, BFM Radio, I've mentioned how a school discipline teacher went a bit quite overboard on a particular student in the Christian blood, which he caused self-inflicted wound, uh, aka he tried to suicide. And what happened is he became very scared to go to school. Okay, so when you have this kind of environment, there's a reason for students to actually stop. And when they try to you know, get a stop certificate, they don't actually get and there's so many other more reasons why they say school has a what they call a push out factor. Okay. Now, when you look at the pull out factor, the Malaysian law allows people, you know, above the age of 15 or 16 years to actually start employment. And some of the students start questioning at that age, I can enter employment, I can get paid, I can, you know, start buying a motorcycle, I'm not going to go anywhere with this SPM cert, I'm not going to get 
higher education, PDPDN loan uh, is too small, university fees is too high. So they start contemplating the purpose of life at that particular age when the pull factor is you can get an appointment and start life. Okay, so now collectively between this push and pull factor, the pull factor actually has the biggest reason to pull them out. The ability for them to enter employment, mm. uh, which comes with the monetary compensation. And for the record, most of these people under the age of 18, although they employ, they are considered informally in most of them, which people employ them uh, without KWSP. They are still paid about six, seven to 800 ringgit, which most of them are actually quite content with it. Although it's illegal, it's wrong, but uh, who's checking? So who's checking? So this is the primary reason where 99% of the students actually do not turn up for the so-called SPM exam at the first place because they have actually formally, informally dropped out. They don't attend school anymore and they have entered their employment and you know the school keeps their record on and on SPM day, they're absent. Over to you. So in line with that, right, um, I, I'd like to talk about interventions. Right now, what kind of interventions are happening at a schooling level um, and have they been effective? I, it doesn't sound like they have been. No, we actually not. But at the earlier days, I would like to highlight this were in the 70s, 80s and 90s. I think the, the environment of teachers were quite great. In fact, when the teacher, student starts dropping out and don't turn up to school, the teacher turns up to the school and try to convince their parents to attend school. In fact, uh, there is still quite a small minority numbers of uh, school teachers, which I would like to credit. In fact, there are certain teachers who have managed to convince their parents not to marry off their kids. This happened some many years ago before the child bride, uh, the, the underage marriage was banned. So some of the teachers actually went to their house and explained and stuff. So the teachers actually took a very uh, strong, proactive role on that. Okay, But this is a kind of minority and it's declining over time. And why the current uh, intervention has not been effective? First of all, there's a lot of fake reports. I think we need to admit that. Okay, the, like I mentioned just now, this 30,000 is not numbers of people who don't turn up for SPM. They actually drop out rates, people who don't want to come to school. Okay, and that's the report is submitted there. And, you know, uh, we historically have a, quite a feudal hierarchy kind of political system in Malaysia where the minister doesn't leave his aircon room. He doesn't consult. He just purely repairs or uh, purely relies on the reports coming there. There's no double verification, no consultation, no democratic process. So he's under assumption what comes to his table is the truth and fact and fact only, which is in reality never. So how can they design a very good intervention? And the intervention has to be done at the micro level, at the school level, at the PIBG level. Okay, but now when you look at the KPI also set by the Kementerian, what they are saying is, okay, if the numbers of school dropout rates is high, you know, the promotion or the increment or the inducement or incentive given to the Pangatua or to the Guru Kanan actually goes down. Okay, you know, and uh, our public servant salary has not went up for the last 20 years, but inflation went up to the roof. So who's going to give that kind of realistic report if it's going to hurt your wages? So people tend not to tell the truth. We created that kind of system. So which is why all the current interventions are not quite effective because the only intervention that we previously had was done by the teachers, okay, which now they are not willing much to do because they're overburdened with so many paperwork. And... On top of that, a lot of fake reports because everybody wanted to save their incentive and inducement, so they start neglecting the, the student. And finally, of course, uh, the minister doesn't actually actually know what is happening at the bottom. Okay, 
So then what information or analysis would you like to see the ministry focusing on to identify interventions, to identify what next? Actually, there's more than sufficient information and analysis has been done over the year. In fact, uh, you mentioned that because it came out in the parliament, actually some years ago, this came out in the parliament. In fact, I think in the last uh, 15 years, it came out at least about six times in the parliament. So it's been repeatedly uh, spoken about. And and every time it comes out at that point of time, you know, everyone talks about it for a week or two and then the flame goes away. Right. So the analysis at that time now has always been then and that's it. The first most effective intervention is is to plug the pull factor, right? Which is preventing those below the age of 18 entering the employment market or the labor force, whatever you want to call it. That is the sole biggest uh, intervention. And I was mentioning just now, 2020 was an outlier year because the numbers of students who dropped out or did not turn for SPM was all-time low, which is about 4.79%. That was the only time it dropped below uh, 5%, what more below 6% itself. So 4.79%. It was because during the 2020, the first year of COVID pandemic, the labor market was so depressed. Retrenchment was high. Nobody was willing to hire. So the youth or the so-called those in the teenagers, the younger teenagers, uh, sorry, the younger youths or the late teenagers do not actually, could not actually find sufficient jobs. So what happened? They stayed in school because when working is not an option, your other option is to be in school rather than staying at home. Okay, so the numbers of dropout, so the first single most intervention that is needed is we need to amend the labor code to prevent child labor. Anybody below the age of 18 is a child and it's a labor, uh, labor is considered unacceptable. The moment you do that, you'll see the biggest uh, drop in these numbers of school dropouts or SPM absentees, whichever the government wants to call it. In closing, we've got a couple of minutes left with you. Uh, TVET is the pathway that's most often suggested for students who either drop out or don't want to continue their studies. And we're going to talk about this more later on. But do you think right now enough students and their families view this as a viable, accessible option? Well, there is a lot of viable and accessible option too. But the thing is, do they know? Not really. Okay, We have to accept the fact that the information about uh, post-schools, uh, about uh, sorry, post-secondary school information available is actually uh, quite limited, especially to the lower-income family. And it also depends what family background you come from. Okay, If your whole family is in medicine, the only information will be available is medicine. If your whole family works in public service, the only information they'll tell is in public service. If your whole family works in this particular industry, in automotive, uh, technical and stuff, that's the pathway they will show. Now, what happens is this is where the school plays an important role to suggest to the students at a very earlier stage. And most of the interventions, sorry, most of the TVET um, uh, knowledge actually is given to them at Form 4 or Form 5, which is not correct. It should be given to them at the earlier stage, maybe at the early secondary school itself. We're talking about Form 1, Form 2 or Form 3 itself. So it's easier for them to start finding their way. right? And it's also easier for the family also to start researching about it. Because now, when it comes to those at the age of 16 and 17 and 18, their pathway to study is largely influenced by their family members. It is true and true for a lot of them. Only later after graduate, a lot of them tends to change it. But at that point of time, a lot of this influenced by the family members, the school must play a role to actually expose that information to them, which now a lot of uh, students does not actually know. In fact, uh, many people till date 
about, I can easily say about 90% of the BAT do not know how to apply to a polytechnic, to a TVET, or to a, some doesn't even know there's college community. Okay, these are usually reserved for the B10, B20 students who actually sometimes they, we consider them, they don't even pass the SPM, but there's still a pathway for them. And the application for it is never near full. So say you have a 30,000 seat per year, you only get about average to about 15 to 18,000. 12,000 seats are untaken up because people don't know actually they accept it. But when they do know and they are exposed, which historically some me and my friends, we have actually exposed these students, they decide to take it up. So the accessibility, viability is all there, no problem, but they are not exposed to it. So the school needs to play a bigger role. Over to you. Sharon, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. Good day. That was Sharon Raj, human rights activist for education, talking to us about, well, um, essentially the fact that SPM absenteeism is a conduit for us to look at school dropouts. Let us know, how do you think we can keep our students in school on an education pathway, but also what else might we need to consider for students who do drop out? You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Balanced Frank Medium. BFM 89.9. It is 6.40 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. Today we are talking about, well, okay, initially I was going to say what we're actually talking about is the number of absentee candidates for the SPM and this is because it's something that's been going on in Parliament for quite a bit. But as our first guest, Sharon Raj, rightly pointed out, it can also be seen as a way to assess how many students are actually dropping out of school because in essence, that's also what it is. So um, we're asking, how can we keep our students from dropping out? But also, what other pathways might we need to consider for students who do? I mean, what other forms of support could we do? What other forms of outreach? If you have ideas, if you'd like to weigh in, that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note to 18 you can send a WhatsApp there and tweet us at BFM Radio. So let's start with this from BJ who says, BFM saying how to get all students to SPM is problematic. It doesn't account for differently inclined students. Society needs to change how we look at TVET education. Going to TVET just means choosing another path in life, not a sign of failure. And so VJ, I mean, firstly, thank you for the, uh, I guess, the clarification because actually the reason why I said SPM was simply because that's the point of contention. But really what I was trying to get at is how can we keep people from dropping out? which is what I've amended the question to, because that's really the essence of it. Actually, I, I'm entirely in agreement with you that whether differently inclined or whether you just see more potential in TVET, TVET is actually a, I, w- I don't even want to say valid. I think it's actually a very, very good choice potentially for you. Um, and I agree with you that it's not a sign of failure. It's actually something that we'll be exploring with uh, our second guest later on in the show. So do stay tuned for that. But I think in this case, though, what we're talking about is how do we ensure that students stay in education for as long as possible or, you know, in whatever form that might take? Because what we are hearing now or what we're seeing um, is that people are actually leaving school partly because of financial pressures, partly because they just don't necessarily necessarily see a future in it. So I think how we address that actually becomes quite quite important or quite valid. Uh, meanwhile, we also have KW who says, look at the brighter side. It provides cheap labour to the country. If everyone goes to university, who is going to do manual work? So 
I think actually, KW, your message in in a funny way actually meets Vijay's point a little bit earlier, which is that nobody, I think, is arguing that everyone needs to go to university. I would like to believe, though, that we are collectively in agreement that the more education someone can have, the better. That that can only be a good thing. So I think the, the question that really needs to be asked is not if everyone goes to university. It's more how can we ensure that students here in our country are getting as much access to education as possible and as much information as possible about what kinds of education they can explore. Um, Okay, in the meantime, we also have Anonymous who says, we should also look at how we can empower parents to give our younger generation a good education. Books are expensive, digital gadgets are scarce and expensive. It is really ironic that one of the Merdeka visions was education to be available to all Malaysians and therefore to be a developed nation. So the dropout situation is undeniably an indication that our leaders haven't been doing their job well. If the current dropout figures were made known, people at the helm of governing the country should hide their face in shame rather than counting their own achievements through the international praise that Malaysia has a good education system, when in fact the good standard is only achievement applicable to isolated institutions. Anonymous, I think you raise a couple of good points here. One being... Let's talk about the information and how it's packaged first, because I I agree, I think that... I think that we often have an inclination and I I, I, I want to say that I'm sympathetic to the government, whatever the government, um, whoever the government in power is. I'm sympathetic to the government for framing information in this way, because, of course, nobody wants to be out there highlighting their failures. And so if there's a way to look at it differently, that's great. But. I do think having the clearest possible vision of how we're actually doing in terms of our education, if we don't have that, there's just no real way of of planning or moving forward. There's just no way of accounting for how we can do better. So I agree with you that we need to have a, a clearer understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about dropouts. So firstly, that's the case. Um, To your point about empowering parents, I think, you know, this is a larger conversation, isn't it? Because a lot of what we're talking about today has to do with finances, has to do with how how much people feel they can afford for their families. Um, And so it's not just about whether parents can afford to buy books or buy gadgets. It also has so much to do with whether or not in the first place the children Uh, don't feel a pressure to actually head out there and start working. So um, those two things, I think, go hand in hand. But overall, I I absolutely agree with you. Again, we are talking today about the SPM dropout rate in our country and what that uh, SPM, sorry, the absenteeism in SPM, that number, and what it actually tells us about the true rate of dropouts in our country. So we're asking you, how can we keep our students in school in whatever form that might be for as long as possible to avoid dropouts. Um, But also what other pathways might we need to consider for students who do find themselves leaving school? Uh, You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Banana from Malaysia. BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. 
BFM 89.9 at 6.51 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. And today we are talking about school dropouts in light of the recent discussion that's been happening about absentee candidates for the SPM. So we've been asking you, um, and actually this is an old conversation, we've been having it for a little while, but essentially how can we avoid students dropping out? How can we keep them in school in whatever form, um, in whatever stream for as long as possible, but also what other pathways, what other types of support might we need to consider for students who do feel that pressure to leave school? You can call if you'd like to weigh in, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note to 018-789-8899. You can drop a WhatsApp there as well and tweet at BFM Radio. Let's start on the side of things with a voice note. Arvin here. Uh, I actually had a patient who actually got an injury while he was doing his Form 5. And while he was injured, he couldn't go to school. So he decided to go on YouTube and actually learn how to work the stock market. And by the time he was three months in, or four months in, if I'm not mistaken, he was already really good at making, uh, working with the stock market. Then he was already earning like a five-figure salary just playing the stock market. And how do you convince someone like that who's just 17 years old and is already so good at working in the stock market that a traditional education is going to give him much more of a salary and get a degree and get a, a starting salary of, what, 3,000, 4,000 ringgit? Yeah, Arvind, I think that that's a really good point and a great example. I don't have an answer because, um, you know, I'm I'm a risk-averse person. So just hearing that, I'm thinking, good Lord, I have so many, you know, concerns around that. But that's me. And I, I acknowledge that if you have a young person and you compare it to going to school and then going to potentially more school after that, only to come out and earn less than what you're currently earning now, it's tough. Um, I think the argument for education is, is clear I hope it's clear to most of us. I do think, though, that it is a long and tiresome one to have to make, um, especially to somebody who is young, already earning money and, you know, finding that to be something that they they do pretty well. So I don't have an answer to that. Thank you for sharing that example, though. I think that it helps to paint a picture of how things are like now and and to give a variety of experience because it's easy to consider it... um, or rather, not easy. We've already heard it considered from the perspective of somebody who might be earning on a lower income scale. Our guest earlier ran through that. But this is actually kind of, it's different but the same. Um, meanwhile, we also have uh, Robert who is saying, why study or go to TVET when one can make money immediately without going to any classes, work hours are flexible, lower paid foreign workers are doing the jobs of TVET trainees. This has forced the wages of our locals, thereby making these jobs unattractive. Um, and then Robert also attached an Utusan article that said that the P-Hailing Organization of Malaysia expects 20% of SPM graduates to enter the food delivery industry this year. So I, I think, um, again... At the risk of sounding like, at the risk of sounding like a nag, which I assume is what most people who say you should stay in school sound like to younger students. Frankly, I, I can I can even just hear that myself. Um, I guess the thing is, it's a question of job security. It's a question of job progression. There are so many. There are so many things that we've spoken about with the gig work economy that come into play here, right? Um, in terms of, like I said, progression primarily, because you enter and 
when you are 17 or 18, that amount uh, of however much it may be, 3,000, whatever, um, that is great for a significant period of time. It does, in some cases, exceed the starting salary for some careers. I absolutely see where that's going. I think the question always is what happens next, right? Um, how do you earn more in that capacity? And how does further educational qualifications help you? Making that argument, I think, is complicated. And I think that also speaks to what our guest said earlier, which is these sorts of conversations, these sorts of what amounts to career counselling should probably be happening at a much earlier much earlier time than when we are currently having it which is 16 17 i think this notion of making the case for education or making the case for why different forms of education might be good you're right should be uh, sharon's right should be happening much earlier team talking head on twitter says if the pull factor for dropping out is employment enforcing a ban on child employment won't be the solution we should ban child employment but a ban won't end the poverty that actually motivates these children to leave school it will just make it more informal yeah i, I think that as with anything else um as with almost anything else that we talk about on the show, you're absolutely right that it cannot be a one-size-fits-all solution. It cannot even be a silver bullet. I, I think that the ban is one thing. It has to go hand-in-hand hand with with all the other assistance that people who are in this income bracket might require. It needs that education and awareness to students and their families. It's all these things working in concert that would hopefully help to ensure that this pull factor isn't going to be so strong. Um, CK says, not every student suits the current education system, which is why there are always students who dropped out. Simple enough. I think, um, I think that's true. I would like to believe that I would like to believe that there are enough avenues currently to explore. But, you know, even in talking about it, I, I, think, I think that there are different ways of learning. I would like to think that things like TVET offer different forms and forums and avenues for people to explore. Maybe it's not enough. I'm not sure. Um, Lam, meanwhile, how should we define education? Our formal education is outdated like most other countries. Tech has advanced so much beyond existing education systems. We need a revamp, a holistic one. So I'm glad that this has come through uh, in the same space in which we were talking about Team Talking Heads Twitter uh, tweet earlier about how it's not just about enforcing a ban on child employment. Because again, in an ideal world, all of these things would be happening in concert that we are reforming or advancing our education system while also taking into account different styles of learning, while also taking into account that there are external pull factors for students to leave education because they simply don't see value in it. So I, I'm glad that there are different different perspectives coming through because I think together we're workshopping possible solutions or at least coming up with an argument um, for what those kinds of reforms could look like. Uh, let's see. Anonymous says, one of my reasonings for youngsters to stay in school is that all of society is providing you the resources to learn only when you're in your teens. These resources will not come as handy later. It is the best costless investment, which is only once in a lifetime. Anonymous, I agree with you. I don't know how convincing that is for, for somebody who is feeling an immediate pull factor or an immediate push factor. 
but I agree for what it's worth. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. We're talking today about how to prevent dropouts, how to support students in, in a way that's better. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Banish feudal mentality. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 7.08 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. Just a brief recap. Today, we are talking about the number of absent students during last year's SPM. But to be very clear, we're not talking about the debate over what exactly the numbers are. That went on in Parliament last week. Um, instead, we're using it as a jumping off point to talk about dropouts in our school, uh, what the issues are there. And now, where TVET enters the picture, which is what our next guest will be doing with us. Uh, let us know, though, how do you think we can keep our students in school, especially considering the fact that there are pull factors. They can earn money without necessarily completing the SPM or going on to TVET. So how? Um, that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line, though, we have Raja Rizal Kamrul, President of the Malaysia TVET Innovation and Technology Association. Rizal, thanks for speaking with us today. Hi, Lynn. Thank you very much. Good evening to you. So... To start off, um, as we've mentioned, right, today's story is about that large number of SPM absentees um, and for dropouts without an SPM certificate, pursuing higher education is, you know, a, a more difficult or circuitous path. How do you think we should be rethinking our education pathways here and where does TVET come into the picture? Okay, hi, yes, okay, Lynn. You see, uh, even uh, since we are, not, we are not dabbling into the numbers of uh, what they call that, the... Uh, students who didn't take the SPM, okay? Let us be very uh, realistic here. Uh, nobody, see, you can't solve a problem, okay? Even we talked before, even we go into the TVET uh, subject, No, nobody has sat down and asked why does this happen in the first place, mm. okay? You see, there must be a reason why 14, 15, 16, 17,000 students or whatever decided that they just didn't want to take the SPM uh, examinations. And this, I can say that is a national issue and it has gained, gained a lot of traction, you see. So the reason is that when we keep giving out numbers, okay, without sitting and actually finding out what are the cause of issue, you can never draft out a very clear solutions to the extent, okay? What we need, actually need to do today is to sit down and literally use uh, the clinical study research. What I say, clinical, it, it must be precision uh, way to find out, well, number one, why does this happen? Does it relate to, 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 to uh, what they call that, the, they have to have their parents, okay? That they're having uh, poverty, uh, issues, or they're not just interested at all and they just want to jump into the gig economy because everybody is speaking because they are not taking the exams, they are taking the easy way out because of the gig uh, economy. So even before that, okay, the Ministry of Education must sit down okay, and do a proper study. Why did this happen? Number two, once you do a study, you must publish 
the result. A, B, C, D, E, K, this has happened. Okay, why did this happen? Then only you will have to craft out a tangible and granular solution. Do you agree? Yes, uh, I see where you're coming from. Okay, you see, you, you, you can't give out a solution where you don't succumb to reality and you don't succumb to the problem statement. I've been advocating this for the last 15 years. Every issue that we have, okay, in, in, in the government today, be it anything, you must succumb to the, pro- the, the, to the reality, succumb to the problem statement. Then only whatever solutions that will be put in place, you have tangible, granular and monitoring, observation and also monitoring of the uh, solutions. Okay. So if I put the problem statement to you from our first guest then, who who said that essentially one of the issues here is that students are finding themselves dropping out or, or, or are actively pulling themselves out of school because of the pull factor of being able to earn money um, in, the informal, uh, in the informal sector and so on and so forth. And earlier we also had people saying, look, if I can just become a ride hailer, um, you know, why TVET? Then how do we proceed from that perspective? Yes, okay, it's because... They perceive that there are already studies shows that the gig economy, okay, is just a stopgap measure. It's just a part-time solution for them. Okay, it has already shown there are certain uh, riders or gig economics uh, guys who are who didn't take their exam or whatnot. Today they are actually feeling the pinch. Okay, because again we don't know what happened. We must establish the fact, you see, that we don't know what we don't know. Okay, everybody is giving, even even in all the stakeholders, everybody wants to give solutions. But what the term I always use, and you don't know what you don't know, okay, then you will start to create short-term to mid-term ad hoc solutions. Coming back to your question, yes, because they perceive that, okay, I can earn 3000 4000 a month by doing this. But after one year, two years, three years, then they realize that, hey, I actually need a proper certification, I actually need a proper diploma, or advanced diploma. That's, that is where TVET come into play, or any tertiary education to that matter. But when you talk about TVET, okay, again, it must come back to school. You, you see, now, it, it, to take few steps forward, you must take at least five steps back to understand Why, where is this coming from? And I have stated it many, many times. It must start from the school. Lynn. Awareness program, you, you must give, uh, uh, what they call that, uh, openness to the PIBG, Pesata Ibu Bapa dan Guru. You must work with the civil societies. You must work with the industry to better understand what is it for them in the future. And what would that kind of awareness program look like? Um, what is the ideal way to communicate that, not just to students, but also, like you rightly point out, to to the parents, to PIBG? Okay, you see, you see, okay, what we are what we are trying to do today is to chart out a career path from a career path to okay, create an income creation and the social economics for the rakyat. Okay, let, let let's agree to that. Okay. When, when, when you talk about what is it in for them, you see, government has been telling, okay, FDIs in this industry. There are many high-value TVET industries. When you talk about aerospace, you talk about drones, cyber security, IT, AI. Today we are going into the autonomous. You, you see, the billions has been declared, been, been announced, okay. 
But do we ask the question, is our human capital development, are we ready? No, we are not. Why we are not ready? Because it must be instilled from the schools. This might sound a bit critical, but I have to say this, this out loud, Lynn. We must stop working in silos. Every ministry, agencies, whatnot, must use a three-pronged approach where you have to work with the government, industries, civil societies, and work together to make people understand it must come back from the schools. A proper awareness program, uh, what they call that, uh, for parents. Parents also need to understand that this can make their livelihood, their income creation, too, etc., etc., etc. So that currently is not happening because I myself, we, I have gone down, went down to the schools, spoken to PIBG, and it's quite worrying that certain parents don't even know that the current, what are the future industries that we are talking about? From we went before from automotive, from ENE to automotive. Today we are talking about everything relates to RR4. So it must it must start from from the school itself. I'd like to ask you to make an argument for TVET um, because, I mean, this is something that you, you do and work in, but what can yeah. TVET programs offer that uh, traditional tertiary education cannot A? And then the other thing is, you know, some people might also say, look, I, I'll just learn from life experience. I don't need to go into, into vocational training. Okay, okay, this is very interesting. You see, certain TVET programs, if you do a, a proper, uh, what they call that, uh, breakdown, there are many, many courses that are available. Some of them will just take you, say, one year, one and a half years, or maybe two years for you to get your SKM1 to SKM5, or even three years, okay? And 70% of them, you are working with your skills. And again, studies have shown that Malaysia's skills workforce is being sorted out the world after. We are well known for that because of our infrastructure, our language and whatnot. So apart, because, because again, it ties back to the industry that what is coming forward. So tertiary education, you are learning more of, you are sitting in a closed door. You are not being, being put in industry because in Tibet you have on job trainings. You go down to the industry, you see what is that doesn't much happen in, 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 in the tertiary education where you only go through that during your, your internship. So there is a very, very much difference uh, over there. And we, Malaysians, we are known for our technical skills. So there is very much to offer in TVET. So to speak, but again, what TVET is another question. What are the high value and that, that give you high income and easy access to jobs? This is where the industry has also, and GLCs has to so to come into play, to make placement for students easier for them. If not, if not, it will be a merry-go-round where we will, I use the term shock sneery lah, huh? that, mm. that, that we are just talking, okay, and no, no tangible action that, that has been uh, taken. So Rizal, in closing then, uh, what would you like to see happen? You know, if we acknowledge that we have this problem, that people are dropping out, that we need to make TVET more understandable, that people know it's there, what tangible next steps would you like to see here? Okay, uh, it's very easy to to solve a, a problem. As I said, that we need to succumb and submit to reality. This is a problem that we have. Okay, the best way and proven in time is that everybody needs to play their roles. 
everybody needs to stop working in silos. I'm not pointing out fingers anywhere. This might sound a bit critical, but I have to tell the truth. Even the, the truth hurts, but in order to make our nation great again, you must, every government agencies, industries, civil societies, must work together. They must understand each other and say, look, okay, we have this problem. Let us sit down, understand, assess the baseline. Okay, this is where we move forward. And every, uh, what they call that, councils or, or whatever that the government has or going to be put up, the Ministry of Education must be the main stakeholder together with the Ministry of uh, Youth. Can I, Lin, can I give you a very good example that many people fail to see sure. of, a, of the, the most successful, civil, uh, what do you call that, uh, government, private sector, and civil society? Okay? Have you heard of the Petronas Malaysia Cup Prix? No. Okay, you, 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 you go and Google that. It's, a, it's, it's the Malaysian uh, motorbike racing. Okay? It has gone to a world-class level. And today, you see parents sending their kids as young as 9, 10, 11 years old, okay, to attend these races. Big names are there. Bunsiu, Honda, uh, what do you call that? Honlyong, Yamaha are nurturing this young talent. Lin, why do the parents send them? Because they see a very clear path that I am going to the MotoGP or the ASEAN Road Race. Okay, I've been studying about the success story of uh, what they call it, Malaysia Cup. I said, we already have a template. Okay, mm. you have the Hafi Sharin, you have the one Norodin, who are actually flying Malaysia flags all, the, all over the world today. I think you heard of Hafi Sharin, mm-hmm. correct? Okay, he came from Malaysia Cup. Parents are today sending their kids. Because why? For one reason. They see the career path. The key word here is the career path and income creation. That is that's what I've been telling, a proper three-pronged approach that we must ad- strongly adhere to. Rizal, thank you so much for speaking with us today. That was Raja Rizal Kamrul, president of the Malaysia TVET Innovation and Technology Association, giving, I think, a very sort of fulsome approach to how it is that TVET can step up in this void that we're talking about in terms of students not staying in school, which is what our larger show has been about. If you'd like to weigh in, again, that number to call is 7733-2900. Send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free, Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 7.23 and this is Inside Story with Lynn. We're talking today about school dropouts in light of the number of absent candidates in last year's SPM. So we've been asking you, essentially acknowledging that there are lots of factors for why for why people might genuinely find life outside of school more appealing than staying in the school system, how can we address that? If you'd like to weigh in, that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a voice note, actually. Uh, let's start with Wendy. Personally, that, you know, um, a paper qualification is really necessary. Of course, it's just more of a feel-safe. Um, what I studied in uni, I did not um, 
I'm not working in that field anymore but it was a good thing to have but upon saying that I think that if um, if they are not able to finish um, SPM due to certain reasons such as financial or even um, because they are of certain um, you know circumstances I think at the very least we should consider looking at um, TVET or maybe even institute um, having a, a kind of like just a training for um, uh, an apprenticeship for people who actually need it so Tibet um, apprenticeships for certain things or even you know shadowing shadowing a good business person or maybe just even offering internships to um, things like um, I don't know a, a business or something skills also is very important as well as financial management I think we should also have classes on this at a very early um, stage uh, as young as maybe even lower primary uh, sorry lower secondary school because um, if you at least know your options and you know at least some of the skills to survive by. Um, I think it also puts things into perspective for a lot of people. Wendy, thank you. I think that, that that's a series of good suggestions, but I really love your mention at the end of put things into perspective because I actually think uh, that is the exact phrase that I've been looking for for the whole show, that I think it's very, very difficult to put things in perspective for people who essentially don't have the benefit of a of longer life experience and certain struggles that happen when it comes to to the workforce, which is again not to say that why people are dropping out is not valid. It's valid, but then talking to people about it can prove difficult without that measure of perspective. Um, actually, perspective is a word that Shamsul is using as well, saying, I think our perspective on education is wrong. Education is a must, not necessarily to have a degree, but you can still have a proper education from non-formal learning. But not to pursue education because of money is not healthy for the country. Shamsul, I agree, it's what we've been saying. Um, CK and Sia are also weighing in with this question of, you know, how to how to talk about money versus school. CK says, dropping out from school to join up as a food delivery person, earning up to five figures, it's not something wrong. But youngsters have to bear in mind that this is a job which requires a bunch of stamina while risking yourself on the road. They can work for the next 10 years, but then what? Once they have aged, uh, they want to do less, hence their income reduces, let alone the entry requirements are so low that almost everyone can join. Yes, it might be a temporary solution to seek for fast income within a short duration, but in the long term, they have to pick up something else. Similarly, CK says, after SPM, when an 18-year-old is asked to choose to continue to study till college and hopes to earn 3K a month compared to becoming a delivery rider and earning 3K immediately, it's understandable what the choice is going to be. A program at secondary school level to educate students on this will help them understand why continuing to study is essential for personal development in terms of nation building, as well as long-term monetary rewards. So again, I think we are all circling the same arguments, the same valid good arguments, I would say, about why education matters. The question is how to how to get that across in a way that doesn't seem lectury or hectoring, particularly for young folks. I think that is maybe where the gap is uh, in some places at the moment. We also have a teacher, Mr. Fulton, saying, as a teacher of six years, having covered both SPM and IGCSE syllabus, I believe the core syllabus, uh, the core issue is syllabus and the quality of teaching. The education system fails to prepare them for the working world. As the old joke goes, I don't know how to do my taxes, but I 
at least I know the powerhouse of the cell. Uh, Julian is also making a point about syllabus, saying, I think with the lowering of standards or the quote-unquote dumbing down in the school system, uh, it's made it less interesting to stay in school. The curriculum is narrow, subjects like geography and history have been sidelined, teachers spend less time teaching, let alone getting students motivated because they're loaded with additional work. And you know what? I think that while while you're both making slightly different points about the value of of education uh, somewhat you know about whether it should be preparing people for the workforce or whether it should be education for education's sake in some senses i think that in both cases we are talking about why it isn't interesting why it isn't enticing for people to want to stay on to keep learning whether it is because they think it's going to be valuable to them for their minds or whether they think it's going to be valuable in the future for their wallets. So either way, we don't seem to be making a solid argument for people at this moment in time. Uh, just to close off, Amir says, TVET should be introduced to secondary school as early as Form 1. At Form 4, students can choose either academic or vocational, just like in the Indonesian educational education system, the pathway of Skola Menengah Atas or Skola Menengah Kejuruan. And yeah. Agreed. I think that we are all in agreement with that. Maybe a solid move forward. Uh, thank you, everybody, for weighing in. We have been talking today about school dropouts and where TVET enters the picture. And you've been listening to Inside Story, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.